0: Welcome to The Conversation, a podcast about technology, instructional design, and the learning sciences. Although this podcast is going to be evolving, I still want to use it for the class from which it comes from originally, Technology and Instructional Design. And this semester, I'd like to use case studies to present them to my students and for them to respond to them. I'm going to ask one of my new co-hosts to present a case study. Uh, we'll also talk about technology and instructional design. I'm going to ask my students to listen to it and respond by audio, So that would be in an upcoming episode, and maybe we'll have a third episode in which I will talk again with my new co-host. So before we start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hello, my name is Clara Bowler. I am a professor at the teacher education program at Delphi University. I'm from Brazil. I that's how I learned how to teach. I started teaching uh, K-12, English as a foreign language in Brazil. And then I went to the U.S. to do my PhD. And over there, uh, I went to California first. And um, uh, at that time, I was teaching, while doing my PhD, I was teaching ESL reading and writing at the community college level. So I had Uh, both um, English language learners and um, uh, adult learners uh, that were immigrant students and uh, students that were international students from different parts of the country. And at that time that I started using technology more with my students. So we started with using Moodle and, uh, and the tools that I found most useful on Moodle at that time Uh, was the chat feature this was more than 10 years ago and the online forums the discussion forums so we started doing you doing that in class as a as a tool to use in class and to help with writing because they need and they had writing assignments and reading assignments and it worked really well and then I started doing research on how to use these discussions for academic purposes. And that's what I'm still doing. I'm still really being very thoughtful about how to use discussions. Because although it's a, it was one of the first tools that we started using uh, as a technology tool, as a more interactive tool, I feel it's still so relevant and uh, one of the most useful ones, one of the most simple, yet one of, one of the most useful and productive ones.
0: Was this an online class or was this an in-person class?
1: At the time, it was neither hybrid or online. We didn't have that, those options at the time. So times have changed a lot since then. It was starting, so Moodle and Blackboard, they were starting to be more, become more popular as digital tools that we could use. And the Santa Barbara Community College, at the time they had offered the instructors to use these tools in their classroom, to integrate those tools in their classrooms. And I was one of the first ones to say, yes, I wanna do it. And uh, they provided support uh, with the faculty resource center there for us to use. And at the time they were choosing between different learning management systems and uh, and yeah, they ended up choosing Moodle because it's, it was cheaper.
0: And so, what do you teach now at Adult I
1: ended up be becoming a teacher educator, and um, and one of my passions has always been to integrate technology into the classroom, notwithstanding if it's online, fully online, or uh, face to face, because I think technology is such a big, important thing. Uh, Especially when you are working with English language learners. It might sound counterproductive because many people say, oh, but these students sometimes are the most vulnerable, they don't have access to technology, but they're the ones that need the technology the most uh, because it provides them with different ways of expressing themselves and... um, so it's it's crucial. So when I was, so I started working as a teacher educator at, in California as well at UCSB. And with my students, I worked with language uh, teachers and content teachers too. And they adapted their uh, content um, to, to English language learners, right? Multilingual learners. And one of the things that we started talking about from the beginning was how to integrate technology into their classes. So we we talked about using blogs, uh, Google searches, and so they had to create a project based on project-based learning theories. Uh, An integral part of the the project was to integrate technology. So there were examples such as uh, using, uh, creating a brochure, a digital brochure, for traveling abroad in a Spanish class, and they had to do Google searches to find Let's say the the cheapest flight or and then creating a digital brochure using Google Slides or PowerPoints. Uh, other uh, classes used blogs and other classes used Minecraft. And then I'm still I'm still of this mindset that technology is always present in the classroom. So one huge aspect of what I teach is how to use technology to support English language learners uh, in all levels.
0: I think you, what you said earlier is really interesting. A lot of times in every semester, um, and I'm t- this is for a class called instruction, um, Technology and Instructional Design. And a lot of times there will be students who feel like the role that technology plays is an add-on in the sense that it's maybe it's something fun that students can do or it 's something that teachers have to do, especially if they are kind of pressured to add, include technology, to say that well, teachers have to think about um, like the high stakes testing and all that stuff and now on top of that, they have to add a technology and I think what your point was it 's not in conflict right like the technology you you choose to do or you choose to use is supposed to help you with student learning in general. It shouldn't be thought of as something in addition that students, that teachers and students have to do, but it it's something to make it better, more effective. Is that kind of how you feel about technology?
1: Definitely. So uh, for example, students who are learning English as a second language, they need one of the most important things is for them to build background knowledge about a topic because they might not be familiar with the topic. First, because they might be from a different cultural background and second, because of the language itself, right? They are learning. So most K-12 students and higher ed students that are learning English as a second language, they are, are tackling content and language at the same time. So one of the things that i feel that are, are crucial for uh for the use of technology is for example something simple to have the students do some research about the topic before they engage with the topic itself right it could be before they go to the lesson or it could be something that is integrated into the lesson so they can use uh uh web searches or use uh, images or uh, and then have the have that that technological let's say search inform their uh, their knowledge and build that knowledge about the topic that is crucial for engagement with the topic so in this sense technology becomes really really integral because without it that search could not be possible at at its full potential because for example, technology allows for many kinds of so for individualized searches, right? For, for searches in the home language, uh, et cetera. So I think that that's one example of how technology is integral to uh, helping with all of the items that you selected, that you mentioned.
0: That's really interesting because um, I often find that sometimes uh, some international students think of technology in more negative terms. Uh, I don't know Mm -hmm. if you you hear that way or like in terms of a distraction. I think in part, this is because maybe because how they learned um, was, did not have kind of the fancy technologies that in the readings they talk about. But then they they also look at translations and they definitely use a lot of technology themselves. And I find the kind of this disconnect really interesting why they will come with that resistance Um, even though they themselves use technology for learning.
1: That's so funny, because I talk with my students a lot about this, there is a huge resistance towards Google Translate being used in schools. And I, I tell them, look, if you travel, or if you're learning a new language, what is the first tool that you're going to use? Google Translate. And that's That's a tool that that is available for you to use. It's a real-world tool, and you have to know how to use it instead of resist using it. It's not perfect, and it has to be used for certain things and not others, but that's what you have to figure out, not resist the use of it, right? Because many of my uh, teacher candidates, for example, they say that uh, Google Translate was prohibited when they were a student, a K-12 student, for example. And I tell them right away, look, if you're working with English language learners at all levels of proficiency, Google Translate will be your friend and their friend as well.
0: Do you know what the exact resistance is? Is it because they worry that the translations, you know, as you said, it's not perfect? Um, Is it that they will kind of pick up wrong grammar or something like that?
1: That's my perception. I don't know if that's true. But I think it's more about cheating, like this perception that using Google Translate is cheating, that it's not you, it's the tool that is doing it for you. For example, you have to write something for a Spanish class or an English class. So you put on Google Translate and you give it, and in, in Google Translate will do it for you. But what I tell my students that if you're doing that first, the writing is yours, it's still yours. And second is let's use it as a first draft kind of tool that you still have to work on it right and revise it so it's more about learning theories again like you you pointed out that it's there is there to me there are two competing theories uh major ones one is more of a Vygotskin kind of theory that i think social constructionist theory that we adopted more on our side that is Uh, having the help of a more competent peer or tools is a cultural Mm. thing that helps you learn and get to more advanced levels of learning. Whereas there is another theory where uh, any kind of help, any kind of support means that you cannot do it and you have to independently do it without any help and uh, and that shows where you are what your or what your true level of uh independence and learning is
0: i think that's a The same attitude that a lot of uh, my students have um, or some students have and they often use the example of um, like over relying on Google Maps or over relying on something and then they would say, well, then the students don't know how to use a map or, Mm -hmm. you know, something along those lines and I think what what I often notice is that there's always this kind of pivot to the extreme of um, students need to know how to do this thing. Um, Otherwise they will just not know it when that technology isn't available. And I think for sure that there are going to be circumstances like right now my internet is out and we're going to have to (laughs) find some way around it kind of thing. Um, And I I think while it's a fair point, I, I feel like it, if you are worried about using technology on um, the off chance that something will go wrong, um, now obviously if you're in a in a situation where, like let's say, internet is not available or you know it, there's often an outage, that kind of thing, I think that's a different conversation. But um, I don't think I don't think you should be resistant to technology for that reason just because if to kind of buy that logic we don't go out and hunt our own food because our life has changed that we don't need to do that and yeah, what happens you know, when we
1: need to hunt our own food right yeah i mean
0: mm-hmm. maybe that's what's gonna happen next i don't know but <laughs> Um, Maybe, I but think, ironically,
1: you know, yeah, ironically, that's what's happening right now. I think that the, the resistance to technology and using it just as an appendix or an add-on, as you were saying, we're now ill-prepared to use it when we need it, right? To use it efficiently and meaningfully.
0: It's almost like the opposite has happened right now. Is that right. The typical fear is a uh, teachers worried that um, he or she has developed this wonderful lesson that requires internet access and the internet has gone down. Um, Now we are kind of in the opposite situation where school is canceled, basically, and now they have to rely on technology. Um, So it's really a strange turn of events.
1: Yeah, again, it's a way of... Knowing and viewing technology that if you view technology as a cultural tool that we all use nowadays as an integral part of our lives Then it's just a matter of how to use it and when and for what purposes, not If I use it or not
0: We just started talking about the SAMR model in in this class Um, Is that something you've heard of? Uh,
1: I use it for one of my classes too now TESOL 2 And I find it really important for teachers to understand uh, the levels of integration, right? So a good example of this now that is happening that we were talking earlier about is that um, teachers are just sending home right now, some teachers, right, uh, digital packets of homework. And that level of integration, according to the model, is very basic, right? You are not using technology for collaboration. You're not using technology for creation. You're just um, turning homework worksheets, right, into Mm -hmm. a digital platform. Even reading. My son, for example, is reading books uh, on the screen. It's not very different from reading traditional books, right, paper books. And that worries me as a parent because, for example, although I'm all for technology, I think screen time is something that we know little about. What's going to be the impact of screen time on our health, right? Uh, Mental health and and vision, for example. So I would rather him, for example, if he's just going to read a book to read on a uh, paper-based medium because it's healthier for his eyes, for example. So things like that, I think that we need to balance. We need to know when what kind of integration we, we want to have and what kind of, again, of meaningful activities we can have online for kids to really take advantage of, especially the social aspect of technology.
0: What about the social aspect?
1: Well, I feel that especially now that we have to be at home, technology allows for social connection and um, collaboration. Um, I feel that I often tell this to my colleagues and they don't believe me, but I I always tell them, look, I feel my my online classes are more interactive than my face-to-face ones. And it's not because I'm a bad teacher and and I, I, I do, I try to have my students work in groups and everything in class and collaborate and think. But the level of equity in terms of collaboration for when you do an online discussion, for example, is a lot higher than in class in class there's always that question mark are they when they are in groups for example are they are they all talking are they all contributing as a group member Mm. how do you monitor all of these and with 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 technology i am able as a teacher instructor to see everyone's participating if they are not if their contributions are less uh, meaningful i can readily see it right it's very visible when uh, the, the distinction between posts or voice posts that uh, when a student is really engaged and, and has read the, the, the material and is really engaging with it and thinking about it then a student that has not, for example. And it's possible, it's possible to see and it's possible to provide more feedback and be more thoughtful as an instructor as well. So I feel that technology really allows for deep, meaningful conversations.
0: I use voice thread, and it is pretty clear to me, just from the student's comments, how some comments will be in depth and thoughtful, and will connect to the readings, their lives, um, and you know, reference page numbers. And that, to me, is a sign that the student has not just done the not only done the reading, but also has kind of made the important connections that you want them to make versus someone who just gives a very broad kind of response that you can give without any connection to the reading or any any kind of reflexive um, like metacognitive um, reflection. Um, And I can see that and it lets me know very clearly who's kind of on top of things and who is kind of getting something out of the reading versus students who are not doing that as effectively.
1: I feel also that using the model, the SMR model, I feel that it helps also me go to that higher level of creation because, for mm. example, with the online discussions, we have that very meaningful discussion and what you were saying. Uh, so now how to go from that to a level of creation of but yourself going uh, taking that thinking and in connection as you're saying and creating something out of it and I love it because the way I do it way I think I use the model in my mind is I use the discussions as a first step right as uh, sifting through the readings with peers and thinking and get the discussion going then after they have um let's say grappled with that topic and and thinking, then they are ready for uh, the creation part of it. And then what are the tools that are going to help me uh, get to that level? And then with you, I have been able to uh, maybe do a podcast that gets you to Uh, After you have done the thinking, create something out of that thinking, right? Uh, Or do uh, uh, Google, uh, using Google Docs for collaboration to create uh, lesson plans together or a unit plan together. So these are exciting things that I feel that the model really helps me conceptualize.
0: On that note on creation, I noticed, um, because you can kind of align the SAMR model with Zoom's taxonomy, right? Um, and what I notice is sometimes students kind of misconstrue the word create uh, to mean that if, if a tool lets you create something that is automatically um, a high level thing. So, for example, like if you are creating a quiz on um, like Kahoot or something, to me, that is not a kind of a high level use of technology because you are basically taking something that you can do Without the technology, right, you are creating something, but that itself doesn't require or necessarily require high-level thinking. So I, ca- I kind of caution my students when they evaluate technology, don't simply think that the act of creating something is automatically indicative of a high-level order of thinking, um, because that level of creation is not the same as creating, as you said, a podcast or collaborating virtually or you know, creating a multimedia presentation or anything along those lines, right? I think it's important to make sure those distinctions are clear.
1: Yeah, that's such a great point. I feel that the key there is students creating something. Uh, that level is very difficult to get. I don't feel that it's, well, creating a quiz or yeah, or, or using a digital worksheet, these are very simple. And I think that the level that, that, that higher level requires a lot more transformation, right, on something, and so it's, it's, it, yeah. it requires multiple steps to it.
0: Right. And it should be, right? Because Mm -hmm. most tools are not going to meet that benchmark. Most technologies are, are done at the lower level where you know, you can create a, you know, instead of a, um, a paper quiz, you can create a digital quiz or a paper worksheet, you can create a, a digital worksheet, that kind of tool is a lot easier to design technically, than something that requires a lot more, you know, work and, and is kind of higher, uh, requires a higher level of, of creativity and expertise. Um, right. So part of the podcast is also um, to, I want to use case-based learning in my class. Have you used case-based learning or something along those lines, the case studies in your class?
1: Case studies. Um, Yes, I have used them, but not very widely. I'm interested. I'm interested in learning more.
0: This is something that I studied under a professor at Teachers College. who um, That was his um, expertise. So it's like anchored instruction and case-based learning. And it's a shame. I don't think um, we do that enough, but his work was on using videos of teachers teaching and as a case study um, anchored instruction is just kind of using that like a shared material that we can build on as a class and then because it, it's also very specific incidents of case studies are supposed to be um, real or as real as it can be um, and using that as the basis of learning and discussion as opposed to just talking about things in abstract is a lot of times including in this class when we talk about things like universal design or different learning theories they can be very abstract and uh, it's hard to kind of see how that fits into the real world I and mean, case studies or case based learning helps you um bring that to life um That's wonderful. Yeah, and I so, like that. so so i asked i was going to ask you um is there Something that you have like that you experience um, as an instructor, something technology related that um, I was going to have you talk, uh, kind of share it. And um, maybe you've resolved it already. Maybe you haven't. Or maybe you're in the midst of doing it. And then I would like to present this to the students as a case study for them to listen to and respond to and then you will get their responses and maybe you can respond back. Um, And so uh, do you have something like that that you can present to the students.
1: Yes, so uh, I thought hard about this. So there is a general problem that I always deal with. Which is how to promote more interaction among students in online discussions, and that has been for years now my question. Every every semester, every time I teach, even now during these times when people are adopting more technology, right? and transitioning, I think that's a key question. So I see that a rookie mistake with this is, oh, if I have a good question, it will generate discussion. So I'm seeing some instructors do this right now, where they use uh, forums and any kind of forum, voice, or written forum, discussion board. They pose a good question, but, uh, and then that's it. And they expect that the students will interact and, and generate discussion, right? And uh, mm. that, that often doesn't happen because we've seen that because most students, they will still see that as a kind of um, assignment, like a traditional assignment. So they oftentimes, as we talked a lot about this before, yeah, we see that students just post something and they leave mm-hmm. and don't, 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 don't engage in a conversation, right, about that mm. question. So, so that's my first challenge for your students. What do you do as a next step? So you have a good question, but how do you generate a good conversation?
0: And just to clarify, you're talking about students generating the questions, right?
1: No, I'm talking about oh. as an instructor, when you set up a discussion. So your first step is having a good question. I agree. But then how do you go beyond that good question to generate discussion among the students? About that good question, right? That you have, whatever Mm. question or topic it is. And uh, how do you avoid the problem of just posting? And not having a conversation like uh, disparate, um, discreet postings, right, about something, and and having an authentic conversation. So how do you? So my challenge for your students is how do you generate a good conversation and discussion online based on that question, on that initial question that you created. And I have a more specific one uh, okay. that I'm dealing with right now. Because as as I've been thinking about this for years, I have created a few solutions for that. And I'm, I'm eager to hear from your students for the first problem. The second problem is when you have an online class with uh, many students, that's my case right now, I have an online class with 28 students, I think it's a big class. What I'm struggling with is uh, the setup of a a good discussion, because since there are so many students in the class, it becomes overwhelming the amount of uh, responses and comments and things that they have to do mm-hmm. so one thing that I'm struggling with is how to divide them into groups how to make sure that the groups are interacting and having a, an authentic productive discussion while they also have uh, access to other groups and other peoples outside of their group small group mm-hmm. um, discussion uh, how do I make these groupings um, heterogeneously enough and change them frequently so that they keep hearing from each other, but not just that small group, right? Because I think there's a benefit for hearing from everyone as well. And I Mm -hmm. guess it's minimizing the overload of the discussion. So that's a more specific problem that results from the first problem.
0: Okay, so they're both discussion related. Um, One is more general. Um, as it relates to how do you kind of get students engaged in an online class, um, mm-hmm. kind of after you give them a question to respond to, how do you kind of keep that conversation going? And then this most specific one is in the context of a larger class um, and you have these groupings, how do you um, manage that as an instructor or something along those lines?
1: Yeah, how do you manage, how do you keep these discussions going, how do you, on a weekly basis, make sure that the groups are functioning and maybe changing the groups, uh, so that, again, the conversations are productive, they are hearing from different perspectives, etc.,
0: Okay, and also just to clarify for the students who are listening, hopefully, um, like the first question is I like I have my guidelines and um, for like how do you interact and, and all that. Some students follow that, some students don't, and I'm pushing this my students to, to not just say oh look at these guidelines, but to come up with more creative solutions, thinking about what we've been reading, thinking about learning theories, uh, you know how students learn, and coming up with more a more thoughtful set of ideas that are just kind of beyond having some kind of a rough set of guidelines or, or like etiquettes kind of thing.
1: And I think I urge them to think of themselves in their context, right? So you have different contexts. Mm-hmm. For example, right now, I have given a lot of thought about these discussions and how to keep them alive and authentic in the context that I teach, teacher education. However, We have other contexts now that are pressing in K-12, for example, now everybody's at home. So how do you keep those conversations alive in first grade, in eighth grade, in twelfth grade, right? Uh, So how do you create those authentic online discussions at different levels? So I guess that's our challenge uh, today because we are going beyond just higher education.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think some students might even directly be impacted by this. And I think this would be very relevant to them, especially since there are students who are not teaching, uh, um, you know, they're, te- they're teaching things that don't easily translate into an online class. So I think that is a challenge of as well, because now we're all forced online. And the difficulty of taking something that is in person and without making it too much of a direct translation into an in-person class. Right. Okay. Uh, well thanks for those case studies. Um, <laughs> I think uh, it would be really great to hear what my students have to say. Yeah, thank you for your time. It was yeah, really helpful.
1: Um, I I'm going in it and I I cherish this conversation. So let's keep them flowing.
0: Yeah, for sure. So All have right.
1: a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, thank you. Bye.